0: what's up everybody and welcome back welcome back to the bridging the gap podcast I hope you're well I'm absolutely shattered today um, today is gonna be much of a slower podcast I feel my brain is not is not connecting like it like it should do um, I'm definitely feeling a little bit slurry and blurry today um, I think the uh, the initial changes I made kind of a week ago to food is starting to really kick in. Um, obviously, had that little period of time when I was on pretty decent high food, but you know I'm only eleven days out now, so we did drop down again, um, just to kind of pull in a little bit tighter. Not that I have many, if 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 at all, body fat left. Um, we're trying to get anything off that we have, um, so I'm digging. I'm digging again. Uh, we've got ten days left, and, and and we're just staying true, day in day out. But first, but first you guys can guess what flavour I've got today. Today I've got the purple one. And it's not as good as the blue one. But it is what it is. Today guys I have three topics to talk to you about and then some Q&A topics to go into just so we can get a lot of info out, as always. Um, the first topic is going to be about training in life after bodybuilding, and what I will do to be the healthiest motherfucker on this planet, and the things that I'm going to do um, to essentially just improve my ability to live long as hell, um, because that will be my goal after bodybuilding, and and, and, and and we know that bodybuilding is probably not the most conducive lifestyle to living a long time, so if you are out there and you want to live a long time, probably shouldn't be bodybuilding. Uh, let's start with training. So first and foremost, training um, in terms of bodybuilding and, and weightlifting will definitely come to a back burner. Um, I would definitely train something like one to three times per week with a full body or an upper lower routine. And this would be normal bodybuilding stuff. Um, we know that the best way to keep muscular, uh, sorry, skeletal muscle, which is essentially just muscle that you can see, we know the best way to keep that muscle is to train it through the gym to 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 physically move that muscle and to load that muscle mechanically we know that is going to be your best bet to keep that that skeletal muscle and we know that skeletal muscle will Having skeletal muscle will reduce your all-cause mortality rate, help your posture, help everything else. So, I think a very, very good thing that you need to consider is a body, like parts of bodybuilding, are very, very healthy. I.e., the aspects of keeping skeletal muscle, posture, things that are going to help with you rotator cuffs, little niggles and pains, and things that are just going to help you in everyday life. So, if you think about the training session, I'm gonna, I'm gonna perform things that are going to help me in everyday life. If we think about things that we would do in everyday life that we'd want to be efficient at, we could think about picking something off of the floor. We could think about pushing something away. We could think about jumping up and reaching above you. Uh, we can think about twisting, bending, leaping, all these different things that might happen um, when we're out and about um, and can lead to a problem. You know, they, they, they say about old people, it's not necessarily, what do, what do they say? Um, Uh, Slip slip get a cut and die of pneumonia because it's not the cut that kills them It's the staying active that and and the lack of staying active that kills them, so um, Stay fucking active or die Um, so yeah so i would definitely base my, my, my must my mechanical loading around those types of movements just to be proficient at those movements so that when I am reaching for something when I am bending down for something I'm already strong in that and that in that, mo- that area and that mobility so um, I think that's just a tactical way to think about training. Obviously, that frees up a lot more time during the week because obviously training six times a week now, dropping that down to two would obviously free up a lot more time. This is where I would focus on things like my aerobic capacity and improving my cardiovascular system. This is where I would do an extended period of time at a constant heart rate. Obviously, when we're training, this is what a lot of people say: Do you need to do cardio in off season? Um, you're already training your heart when you're when you're when you are when you're uh, training. That is correct, but if we think about if we think about training, it's very, very high intensity, or at least the, the, the training that I'm doing. So you can imagine if you had a graph of your heart rate. Your heart rate is just so sporadic. It's not at a steady state. It's, it's, it's at the top set of a hack squat. It's 160, but then immediately you stop. It comes back down to 100, then you breathe for five minutes, and then it's back down to 80, and then it goes back up again to 140, and it's constantly flicking up and down. And, and that is beneficial. That is beneficial. That hit style it is... Um, it's essentially exercising your heart, you know, it's teaching you how to get up, it's teaching you how to come back down And you're going to become better and better at both of those as you go forward um, But actually also um, it's going to improve what, what what needs to be improved, sorry I should say, is your, is your consistent heart rate and your consistent cardiovascular system And your ability to work hard for a long period of time You know, heavy breathing, high heart rate Um, respiratory higher than uh, than normal for an extended period of time and I would do this again you know one to three times per week and this would be an extended period of time when I do this it doesn't necessarily need to be a run or a row or anything like that just anything that's gonna get my heart rate up um, for an extended period of time anywhere double above baseline so you know 120 plus for at least 30 to 40 minutes three times a week or one to three times a week um, moreover i'll do some high intensity circuits um, obviously talked a little bit about how training is slightly high intensity but actually we know that high intensity workout is is, is a massive benefit to your mitochondria which is the powerhouse of the cell um, high intensity interval training actually exercises your mitochondria versus when you're doing cardiovascular work which is actually why if you if you look at the longevity and the all cause mortality rate of of marathon runners, of triathletes, of iron men, it's actually pretty low, because they're causing a lot of chronic fatigue, they're causing a lot of stress, um, and they're not exercising the powerhouse of the cell efficiently, which would be through, through high intensity interval training. So i would do some direct high intensity interval training work for example, sprints on a bike, for example, Tabata, for example, uh, some, some some style of CrossFit training with snatches and, 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 and burpees and, and that kind of thing that's pretty functional. Um, not focusing on moving the weight. The problem with CrossFit is that people get focused on moving the weight for lots of reps. If you're trying to move a weight for lots of reps, inevitably you're going to fucking get an injury. But if I'm just trying to move moderate weight for reps and, and, and good, good style, good function then I should be pretty sound. Um, so it'd be something similar to that. Um, and then there would be like a maintenance one to two two sessions of like yoga or Pilates consistently every single week. So so if we, if we go over everything that I've hit there, we've hit the, mu- the, the skeletal muscle retention and gain through, through, through training muscle, full body, upper body. We are training the heart and the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system through cardiovascular work two to three times per week at an extended period of heart rate raising. Um, we're working at high, high intensity interval training and not necessarily muscle building but like aerobically high intensity So you're gasping for air rather than, rather than your muscles screaming So we've hit the mitochondria. We then have dedicated mobility, flexibility, core work for all those intra Muscles and all those different stabilizers to really help you live a long fulfilled life um, physically through Pilates or yoga and I think the combination of those four things, um, and, and don't get me wrong, there's definitely other things that you could bring in and and, and, and you know, focus on your mental aspects and all these different things. But I think from a physical standpoint, I think those will be four really, really good tactics to, to bring yourself uh, more health, more well-being, more mobility, and just a better, lasting, longer life, um, from my opinion. In my opinion, I should say. Um, and I would just be constantly moving. Like I just want to constantly be moving. Like we are migration animals. We we we, we wandered the the earth for, for years, for for decades, for for centuries, for thousands of years. We've been walking around the earth. Um, we had to hunt. We had to migrate. Everything we've ever had to do, we've had to move. We are constantly. We are designed to be constantly moving. So that would be something that I would look to do. For example, standing desks. For example, you know, getting a bike. You know, not worrying about. Driving places, just taking those smart routes to be constantly moving, um, and, and and just increase my ability to keep moving for as long as per- for the longest period of time. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's that's training covered um, from a mechanical standpoint. They're, they're pretty much what I would do, I think. And guys, before you say, oh, but what about this, this, and this? Yeah, I know. Like, there's loads of different things that I could be doing. There's loads of things that I might be doing differently than this. This whole idea of how I will train any after bodybuilding may be, flipped up, so, may be flipped, turned upside down tomorrow from new research, from this, from that. So, it's just about... Being open-minded enough to know that this might change, but also Understanding that you need a little bit of a direction and having a little bit of a path and, and an idea of where you want to go um, In the future and that, and that is something that I'd want to do in the future now moving on to, on to Nutrition and diet. I think, I think it's safe to say that the, the bodybuilding diet and nutrition is not always the healthiest obviously being on two ends of the spectrum one is is kind of forcing your body to gain weight force feeding more often than not eating nutritionally compromised foods to get the calories in for example if you've got 9000 calories to eat a day and you're trying to fucking get carbs in you know what are those four rice crispy bars you just gonna, you're just going to you're just going to get them in you know is it the healthiest choice no it's not in contrast being hypercaloric um, being malnourished Um, and having a lack of nutrients when you're in a deficit Um, it's like two ends of the spectrum you know and then then of course there's the middle ground um, where you're kind of either reversing or building up into an off season or coming down into a cutting season and 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 maybe there's a middle ground where things are a nice equilibrium and nutrition is not crazy but at the end of the day, there's some nutritional protocols that we can implement to reduce inflammation, um, to reduce stress on kidneys, livers, and all this kind of thing, and and in general, put yourself in a more favorable position to just be healthier. Um, and the first thing will be to not worry about being in a surplus um, or a deficit per day, but more just eating to my demands. And I think that'll probably be a huge thing that will that will change for me after I'm finished bodybuilding. Is that the days when I do go out for a nice long hike or when I do this and that, you know, and, and my energy demand is raised, my energy demand, sorry, my energy input will be raised. Um, and then when I have those days when there's not so much on and I've got a lot of work to do and I've got to sit down, that'll be a day when my energy, my energy input will be decreased. Not only that, but I will start playing with things like keto. I will start playing things with fasting um, and just... Essentially, I want to search and find the best diet for me to make me feel the best and cognitively work the best. I think that what will work for me might not work for you. Um, as a general rule of thumb, as a general rule of nutrition and diet right now, this is the kind of thing I'd be aiming for. For one, I would probably reduce my protein to an absolute minimum effective dose to keep my protein, uh, to keep my muscle. Um, so, you know, for me, roughly, speaking, let's say I'm 100 kilos, I'm probably going to go for around 180 to 200 grams of protein per day. Pretty, pretty easy, just a, a simple gram per kilo. Um, that's That'll be pretty much down on where, I'm, where I am now, just because my demand for protein will be less, my muscle breakdown will be less, um, and in general, my demand for amino acids will be less because I'm not... St- stimulating muscle protein breakdown as often as I would be um, if I was bodybuilding. Um, so inevitably protein would be reduced. Carbohydrates would 100, 100% be reduced. Carbohydrates are a huge source of inflammation. It's a su- huge source of just a lot of issues, to be honest, as it comes with carbohydrates. We know that um, blood glucose variability, um, consistent blood glucose variability, can actually have a, a, an indirect effect on all-cause mortality as well. So snackers you won't be happy to hear this but constantly spiking your blood glucose all day has been shown and has been linked to actually increase your chances of 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 diabetes increase your risk of arteriosclerosis and also anything to do with just being overweight and, and not being able to deal with sugar your your uh predisposition to these increases with more um, glucose variability. So try stick to those whole meals, try stick to foods that aren't going to spike your blood glucose as much, which is why I mentioned the keto thing. And then when you are going to spike your blood sugar, you want to do it around those areas. When we have those upregulations of those glucotransporters, for example, post-workout, you know, we know that glucotransporter four, GULT four, um, is, is a glucose transporter that upregulates during, during a workout. And, that um, we have a bigger, a bigger predisposition to be able to assimilate and digest those carbs and move those carbohydrates when we want them to so it makes sense for us to have if we were to have carbohydrates to have them post workout um, so that's probably where I would have my carbohydrates maybe a little bit pre maybe a little bit intra to mitigate some muscle protein breakdown and maybe post and then then I wouldn't be really too worried about where my where my micronutriients are coming from and I'd be more focused on where my micronutrition is coming from um, So moving into, into, so we've done protein, protein a little bit dropped, carbs obviously dropped, fats would go way up. I think the the body runs very, very well off monounsaturated fats. So things like avocados, olive oils, coconut oils, MCT oils, all these different things would be raised um, 100%. One to make difference for the glycogen reduction, the the carbohydrate reduction, obviously reducing calories from just carbohydrates may put you into a deficit. If it does, you would have to make up for the, the deficit from protein or fats, in my case, probably. Fats um, and generally just make sure I get a little bit more fats in. Um, I feel the body works pretty well off fats anyway. But again, guys, like if it gets to the point where I'm having a load of fats, maybe 100 grams of fats, and I don't feel good, I'll drop them and I'll put my carbohydrates up and I'll see what happens, you know. And it will just be a process. Um, so yeah, that, that's macronutrition. Micronutrition loads of vegetables, loads of fruits, staying away from anything that's high in leptin, staying away from anything that's gonna cause any gastro problems for example green beans are pretty high in leptin um broccoli can get me sometimes and any of these um these micronutrition these plants that have micronutrition and and phytonutrients and 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 things that may aggravate your stomach i I would stay away from them personally and i'd make sure that i'm preparing my vegetables properly so i will be very very, much more refined in my vegetable choice Um, I'm I'm tending to move away from the wider spectrum of micronutrients being the best thing I think as long as you're nailing your micronutrients I don't think it matters where you're getting them from necessarily For example, I was like Maybe even in my last podcast I talked about this. You know, you want to get as many different vegetables, colors, textures, this and that as, as you can. But but actually a lot of those things will hurt your stomach. For example, I know that cucumbers hurt my stomach. Um, but then when I take the waxy outside off, they don't. And the same thing for like peppers and tomatoes for some people. Um, so just m- making those conscious choices will, will be something that I will be moving towards in my nutrition and just finding out exactly what works for me. Um... Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's pretty much it. I think that's pretty much it. Um, supplements will probably stay where they are. Everything, will, everything I do will be based off blood tests. Like, I'll probably get like four or five comprehensive blood tests per year uh, in, across vitamins, minerals, all my health markers. And I'll just manipulate my food choice, my training choice, and my cardio, my recovery capabilities, all according to that blood work and just try to get it as optimal as possible. So that's pretty much how I'm going to train and eat after I bodybuild, I think. Um, All subject to change. um, All, um, we'll probably be dependent on what research comes out and says what's best. But based off what I've read, based off what I've heard, that sort of setup is going to benefit you the most in terms of longevity and health and well-being. From a nutritional and physical standpoint, there are things we can consider with recovery, like light, the way you hydrate yourself, the way you sleep even the way you breathe there are so many different things that can affect your your health and well-being so i wanted to just stick to training and nutrition because this is a training and nutrition podcast um but i think we can get lost in you need to make sure you get your circadian rhythm booming and melatonin dose at this time and we can get very very lost in that so let's stick to the foundations of what i'd be doing in training and nutrition afterwards That's it. That's all I wanted to say. That's pretty much where I'll be um, post-bodybuilding. I hope. We'll see. Um, The the next thing I wanted to talk about uh, was going to be the truth about refeeding um, and and, and how you should be refeeding and when you should be refeeding. This will be a little bit smaller of a topic than the last one. But essentially, too many people refeed too often. A lot of it is going to be dependent on your goal, right? I'm going to use the example of someone competing. If you're competing and you have body fat left to lose, you don't need a refeed. A refeed will not boost your metabolism, a refeed will not boost your hunger hormones or, or boost your leptin to make you lose weight more or, or anything like that. It's a simple energy balance equation. The benefit that uh, controlled, in my opinion, refeed will have, for example, not just saying, go have a burger, because in my opinion, the 1,000 calories from that burger would not be as good as a 1,000 calories from like straight carbohydrates because you would just utilize them so easy. No digestive stress and you just assimilate them so easy. Um, but the idea behind it would just generally be is that we give you a little bit more input for a day but that translates into more output for a day or two even if you can really hold on to that fullness and that that glycogen for, for a couple of days. So that increases your output for a couple of days which then increases your your deficit for a couple of days. So it doesn't actually boost your metabolism. It just increases your output because you've got more input, which then increases your deficit. So you can see why people think it boosts your metabolism because people often have a refeed then lose weight when actually it's probably because they just did more that day uh, because they had more going in. So that's definitely something to consider in terms of refeeds. If you're someone who is very much ahead of the schedule in terms of coming in lean enough for the date that you've got in terms of fat loss is pretty damn quick and everything is pretty good you could you could refeed for a psychological benefit obviously the psychological benefit great don't need to count food today or great I've got a bit more food today a bit more energy Um, and then otherwise there's not really a reason to refeed other than just like you want more food that day to be honest Uh, it's not going to serve any benefit the only benefits it's going to serve is going to be psychologically if you if you can warrant it not that doesn't mean like if you're psychologically weak and you're psychologically feeling about food uh, thinking about food that you now deserve a refeed i don't mean that i just mean like if you're in a position where everything is going to be on point maybe you're two weeks out but you're stage ready Cool. Have a refeed because you know that it's not going to do anything, and and it's going to give you psychological benefit going into that. Not a case of, fuck coach, I'm really really hungry. Oh cool, let's give you a refeed because then you'll be psychologically better. It's like no, nah, if you got if you still got fat to lose, you ain't. You, why would you want extra calories? It doesn't make sense. Um, so you've got to be considerate of that. The only other benefit I can see a refeed having is is if you are losing weight too quickly, um, and you didn't want to put your overall calories up. For example, let's say you're on 2000 calories a day um, and you're dropping a, like over a kilo a week and you've been doing that for the last four or five weeks and it's been really, really easy. We've not changed anything. You could probably throw in a refeed to slow down your weight loss because you know you're going to be ready. But I think the take home point from when to refeed and how to refeed is do you have body fat to lose? If the answer is yes, the answer is don't refeed. <laughs> if you, if you, if you're ready, if you're gonna be ready, if you're losing weight too quickly, if you're really, really suffering physically and it's translating into poor workouts, poor sleep, poor cardio, then there might be another case for a, for a refeed. Um, but for, you, for your everyday lifestyle client, which I know some of you are going to be listening to this and, and you're going through like a let's say a casual diet rather than like a strict 100% diet. Um, I definitely see quote unquote refeeds being beneficial just to balance your life and have a personal side to it. In my opinion, if you're competing, there is no personal side to it. You don't you don't get to find the balance. It's all or nothing in my opinion. It's just the way it is. Um, but if you're someone who's more casual, who's not competing and stuff and you want to go out with your girlfriend at the weekend or your mum, or your parents or friends or whatever, it just becomes about the calorie equation over the week. Um, and just being on top of that, and then you can throw in your refeeds, um, but just know that you are throwing extra calories into your equation, so if you start gaining weight or you stop losing weight, you know why, because you've got extra calories in your equation, so yeah, that is pretty much refeeding in a nutshell, um, the next thing I want to talk about is losing a lot of weight, um, in not, not necessarily in one go, but just clients who, who, who need to lose a lot of weight or someone who needs to lose a lot of weight. I've got quite a few clients like this. Um, uh, I quite like getting clients like this because I know that the changes they're going to get is going to be amazing. Um, but to put it fairly simply, it, if you've got to lose and this is an arbitrary number, it could be a little bit more, it could be a little bit less depending on who the person is, how much they're eating, how much they're doing, how well their body is responding. But if you've got to lose 10, 12, 13 kilos plus, in my opinion, and I'm talking like, you've got to lose like way more than 12, 13 kilos. If you got to lose like 15, 16 kilos to be able to get to a position where you can say, yeah, I'm lean enough to be able to like bulk, to even bulk, not even stage lean. Um, I think you're better off coming back and doing that in two stints. For example, doing like an eight to 12 week cut, even longer, eight to 16 week cut. I say eight to 16 is quite a big difference, but obviously depending on, the, if the person just drops like a sack of shit, cool, eight weeks. If they don't and they struggle to get into routine, 16 weeks. But if you, if, if you, if you say diet for 10 to 16 weeks, take off, you know eight to ten kilos you would then reverse diet for like six to eight weeks reduce any diet fatigue reduce mitigate any any training fatigue cardio fatigue all that kind of stuff um and then and then you try build metabolism up as much as you can without gaining body fat and, and going through the reverse diet process if you don't know about the reverse diet i just put a video up on my youtube channel josh britain fitness you can check that out just explaining the reverse diet process Um, And then you'd go again and you'd come back again for for the rest of it. Um, It's not conducive to the goal to maybe do it all in one. Let's say you start at 3,000 calories, you're 100 kilos, you want to get down to 70 because you're very, very fat, by the way. Um, Cool, we cut to 90 and we're on 2,000 calories, we cut to... We got to 80, you're on 1500 calories and cardio every single day. You, there's no, like, where do you keep going? Do you keep going to 500 calories and two hours of cardio a day? Yes, you can. But the diminishing returns, the ability to perform your mood, your energy, and or while still having body fat that you need to lose. I find that mentally fucks people. You know, imagine just doing loads of cardio, eating absolutely nothing and looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, Fuck! I still need to lose like ten kilos. Like mentally, that just destroys people. And we and then you t- and then you got to come in and tell them, oh, you need to come back up now. And then and they're not working towards their goal anymore. Like it destroys people. So you need to be very very vigilant as to how you explain taking off all of this body fat in one go. Um, but more often than not, guys, if you've got someone who, who who's very very overweight, and if you are someone listening to this and you are very very overweight, go for a ten to sixteen week cut. Try and lose. Eight to twelve kilos, you know, and then reverse diet and only gain back two or three kilos, you know, and then go again and try to take off another ten, and then before you know it, six months down the line, you're taking off twenty-two kilos. Um, you're not eating crazy. You're not eating crazy amounts. You're not doing loads of amounts, and you're in a good position moving forward. Um, so, so don't rush this process. Don't think I want to be shredded now. If you, if you can be honest with yourself and say I'm severely overweight, I need help don't think you're getting shredded in six months don't think you're getting shredded in a year this stuff will take you years and years and years to be able to keep off in fact this does take years and years and years to, to get off but to keep it off you've got to be able to you should you you have to do it over a long period of time because it will not be sustainable you know if we take that earlier example i push you to 1500 calories cardio every single day And you get to a breaking point and then you break and then guess what happens when you break? You go the opposite direction and it's just not a good position. And and my goal as a coach, my goal as someone who's giving out all this information and my goal in this industry is to make it sustainable and to be able to make it so that people can do this for the rest of their lives um, without having to think about it. So be sustainable, think about it, do it in two goes if you need to. It's not always going to come off in one go. Those are the three topics I wanted to talk about today. Uh, we've got a few Q&As that I wanted to just touch upon because story time, I don't want too much of, of a good thing becomes a bad thing. So I'm going to hold off on a few weeks for, for another story time. But let's jump into some questions after another sip of the gloriness, the gloriousness. Oh my God, it's good. Every time. You know why it's so good? Because it tastes so good. And anything that tastes good. In fact, anything that tastes is good (laughs) for me at the moment. I was saying to my mum the other day, oh, I like pineapple now, by the way. Oh, I like mango, by the way. Oh, I like watermelon, by the way, because I obviously have like 200 or 300 grams of fruit a day. And for each 100 gram, I've just been like changing my fruit. and I've been trying to find things that I like. And I've discovered that I now like everything because my taste buds are absolutely shot from just not eating very much for so long that everything tastes like absolute golden. Um, which is not a bad thing. Now I've just got to bring it into my off-season have all this good food in the off-season. Questions? We're going to fire through these and we're about creeping up onto the half an hour mark, so see if we can get these done in 10 minutes so you guys aren't too bored, bored listening to my voice. Um, the possibility of bringing out my own supplements to the market is high, I would say. I definitely think it's something that I want to do. It's definitely something that I'd want to do specifically, not like, I don't even want to do it to make money. I don't want to do it to sell it. I want to do it because I want the product that I want. That, that's very much how I conduct my business. It's probably not very good. But, for example, the hoodies, like, I, the hoodies that I sold, the JBF Brigade hoodies, I literally just made a hoodie that I wanted to wear. I didn't I didn't really care about what other people wanted in a, in a design. It's probably a flaw of mine in my business plan. Um, but I literally just made hoodies that I wanted so I elongated them I made the sleeves a little bit longer I made them a little bit wider etc and the same thing for, for, for like the t-shirts that I want to bring out like I'm just making them to how I want to fit them um, and the same thing with a supplement I think at the moment the only thing that I'm really thinking of in terms of a supplement would be an intra workout um, something that would have intra that would help cellular hydration pumps all that kind of stuff uh, the pre-workout market is very very saturated the the, the the protein market, the supplement market is very very saturated. The only thing I could see myself wanting would be an intra that I could manipulate my, myself. That doesn't mean that I would be something else, but for right now, that'll be it. Uh, the origin of bro science. This is I saw this question. I thought I could probably explain that pretty well. So the origin of bro science. Let me use uh, eating fish to thin your skin as an example. So I don't know if any of you guys have heard, but back in the day they used to say, oh, white fish will thin your skin. You know? And and all these guys would go on their competition diets and they would start on their red meat and they would get to like whatever it is, six weeks out, four weeks out. Oh, my coach says I'm gonna swap to white fish now to thin my skin. Well, guess what? If you take 200 grams of beef and you take 200 grams of white fish, guess which one has has more calories? The beef, because it's got more fat, more protein, more calories therefore when everyone made that connection of oh when i switch to fish my thin gets skin my skin gets thinner actually when you when you switch to fish your calories drop your deficit increases and you get leaner so that's the kind of that's kind of where bro science comes from you know by making these connections to things but not making the right connections to things but for the wrong reasons if that makes sense so like yes actually if you if you had an entirely meat diet like red meat and you swapped it all to white meat you probably like and you weren't losing weight you would probably start losing weight and getting leaner and your your skin would appear th- thinner but obviously we know that it's because of calories but back then they wouldn't make those connections you know etc etc the same thing with the pump oh the pump feels good the pump's what you grow well actually you do grow from the pump like you grow from cell swelling and there's thought process behind that like but Of course, you grow from mechanical tension and muscle damage as well. So, where these people were chasing a pump, chasing a pump, they're they're, they're still going to grow because it's an aspect of hypertrophy. But they're just missing other aspects. But it's like, it's kind of just picking what you feel and making that connection of what you feel and just saying that it's because of something else, but not actually knowing the science. So, bro science and the origin, it it kind of makes sense where it comes from. It's kind of funny. And a lot of them a lot of the pro science like kind of makes sense but it's just not for the right reasons food's craved this prep so i didn't actually crave anything until that first competition i was just so focused on 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 winning doing my best whatever it is i just didn't didn't really think about food i was just living vicariously meal to meal step to step cardio session to cardio session but after those first Competitions when food started coming up. That's when the struggle started coming in and I started thinking about food um, The I don't really crave shitty food to be honest the only thing I'm really really craving right now is a naughty burger Because I had a burger like two weeks ago three weeks ago, and it was shit, and I'm absolutely disappointed So a naughty burger a nice pizza, but I don't like Domino's and shit So it's gonna be like a nice sourdough franca manca pizza um And then a Chinese, those the, like Chinese is probably the worst thing that I'm craving right now. And then otherwise, a Nutella cheesecake, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. And th- and like I just need these once. Like I just need a nice burger, a nice dessert, and an all-you-can-eat Chinese. And then m- my cravings are gone. You know, and that's pretty much it. I'm I'm pretty good at being a uh well, I say I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm going to be pretty good at going to be controlling myself post competition, but we'll see. I am flying to Budapest four days after I compete, so we'll find how we get on. Um, the real damage of the ten calorie challenge. Um, so very very simply. Let's take your maintenance, let's say you have 3,000 maintenance, you then have 10,000 calories, you have 7,000 calories extra for the day, you have 1,000 calories extra for the week, so you are in a 1,000 calorie surplus for seven days of the week. So that kinda just means that you need to make a 1,000 calorie deficit every single day of the week and you could reduce that, technically speaking. However, I think the damage can be implied in a few ways here, and let me tell you about a few. For one, psychologically, um, can promote binging, most people Doing the ten thousand calorie challenges tend to be fitness people. Tend to be people who diet. Tend to be people who who are very very food focused, and it can have a pretty detrimental effect on psychology by just having these big binges. Um, so I think I think that's an aspect to just, just mention briefly. Um, digestion. We know that to get ten thousand calories in, most of these people are eating shit food. If you can do it straight food, then then cool. Um, But regardless, I think 10,000 calories of even clean food would probably hurt your digestion, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, not normal things to do. And obviously if you're pounding cookies and dominoes to try and get 10,000 calories in, that is going to damage you Um, on the inside. um, In general, it's just probably not good for you to do 10,000 calorie challenge. Um... But, of course, everyone likes a little bit of fun every now and again, so I wouldn't worry if you're doing it once in a while. Benefits of having a coach while being a coach. uh, It takes a lot of the decision-making out of the place. I think if I've got to deal with, say, 50 clients and I'm two days out of my competition and I'm doing 10 check-ins and I'm thinking about manipulating this person's macros, that person's cardio, this person's recovery, and then I've got to worry about my own, nah, I'd rather just have a coach who does it. Not only that, but I would always have a coach who I would think knows more than me, who can offer me more, and who can give me more to my life. Not just coaching, but my life, and that is something that I have in my coach right now. Um, so I wouldn't just have a coach who I think I'm better than. That'd be stupid. I have a coach that I idolize, and I and I have nothing but respect for and, and constant learning from. So I think the value of having a coach takes the pressure off off, off your decisions, um, offers you an alternative opinion on, on your decisions um, and also gives you the ability to learn from someone better than you because there will always be someone who is giving more knowledge, doing more, being more. Um, and, I, and I wanted to associate myself with someone like that, and I have done, which is cool. Last question now, guys. Tips for vascularity. Very, very simple. Get lean. Um, get lean as you can. Um, essentially, if you can imagine muscle, vasculature, body fat... Reduce body fat, muscle pushes against vasculature more, more veins, simple. There are very, very small things we can do to help vasculature and veins. For example, be hydrated, nitric oxide boosters, dark chocolate, uh, beetroot, citrulline, things like that can help vascularity, but they're not. you're not just going to have some dark chocolate and get vascular. You've got to be lean first. You've got to have the body fat first, so that'll be literally it. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast um i actually picked up i chirped up a little bit i think the caffeine kicked in about halfway through so thank you guys for getting this far i hope you enjoyed this one we'll be back with another bang soon as always guys don't forget to tag me in your stories please 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 drop a rating on the store i would love to be able to get into some kind of top 20 or something of one of the categories i don't know if i'm even categorized but that would be lovely i love you guys speak to you soon peace and love Bye bye